What is it that is holding you back from living the life that you were created to live? Or at least, what does it feel like is getting in the way of you receiving, living in, and taking hold of what God wants to give you? Now, I ask you that because today is Good Friday, and on Good Friday, as we think about everything that Jesus went through, you know, it can be a a hard day in some ways when you think about that, but it really is a good day because everything that took place today, everything Jesus willingly went through today was in order to remove that which prevented us from receiving the life God created us to live. This day took place because God loves us and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to give us freedom. Love means freedom. This lesson today, it is the last of this Lenten series we've been going through. Lent means love, where we have been talking about sin and talking about the cross, all pulling in that behind it and at the core of it and below it, all over it, is God's love. We've been seeing God's love, preparing our hearts to receive God's love and embracing what God's love means for us. And tonight, we'll see that God's love means freedom. The lesson we have is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, all of our lessons throughout the weekends of Lent have been from 1 John, and so this is really wrapping that up. And so you're, if you've been around for those messages at all, you're likely pretty familiar with this background. We've reviewed it a number of times. We won't go through all of it, but there are two main points to keep in your mind as we get through our lesson tonight. The first one, as we think about 1 John, remember that it is written in this way where there's a lot of strong statements and contrasts made to really hit home some points. And as you look at John, there's this cyclical repetition, amplification that happens, where there are some ideas that he is building on, cycling through, hitting from different angles. And as he cycles through them, if you keep in mind where you've been, it helps you understand also where you are. Speaking of where we've been, let's just take a little review on where we've gone throughout this season. We started off talking about how love lives in the light which was this beautifully foundational lesson. But how living in the light doesn't mean that you never trip up, doesn't mean that you never sin. It means that when you do, you don't hide it. You step out, you lay your sins before the cross, you confess them, and know that he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. There's this great starting point because then whenever we go through the other lessons, whenever there's a spot where it's like, but I don't do that. I sin in that way. You cycle back to this initial lesson. It's the foundation for all of them. From there, we talked about how love hates lies. God doesn't want you to have a fake life. He wants you to have the real deal. He wants you to live out this love. He has given us now a life of love that lasts forever. It lasts unto the age. It's a life that has a new quality to it, where it is where things are set right And this last weekend for Palm Sunday, we talked about the hope that we have because of love. How we get to live in expectation, and as we live in expectation, it transforms us right here 
today. And so we wrap this journey up today through 1 John by looking at how love means freedom. Our lesson begins, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, we've talked a couple times throughout this series about how when you think about sin and you think about breaking the law, that we should think more than just, well, God set up these rules and I'm not supposed to break them. Why did God's law, why did God make his law? Well, he made his law because it's how life works best. Today, this first verse, it says, everyone who breaks, excuse me, who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That word lawlessness, it literally means anti or the opposite of law. So if we're really going to dig into this verse, let's dig in a bit deeper into what this law is. Okay, we've talked about how God's law is there because it's how life works best, but how does this work out practically? And how did God's law, as given through the Old Testament people, how does that work out practically? And then how does that help us understand what's being said here in this, this verse? So let's go back and let's think about the very beginning, when God created life. God creates the world, and he creates the Garden of Eden. He creates this beautiful place, and he creates humanity and, and puts Adam and Eve there. And when God does so, he gives humanity this incredible privilege. He made us to be in his image, meaning that we would be a walking picture of God. And our beautiful calling as humanity was to partner with God, and as we go throughout the world in the way that we love each other and treat each other, the way that we have families and build communities and things, was all to be a reflection of God's character. There in the garden, we could eat from the tree of life, and we could be empowered with God's life and could bring his life, show his life throughout the world. That's God's design for humanity. That's how it was supposed to go. But Adam and Eve broke that partnership because they didn't trust God to be the source of life, and they didn't trust God to be the one who directs how life works. They turned away from God, and they broke that partnership, and they were expelled from that garden before they could eat from this tree of life. And now because the people who were put here to rule over the world, like God, are now broken and corrupt, the world became a place that is broken and corrupt. And that brokenness, that corruption, instead of God's world being this, this beautiful place, it's now this place that has beauty. Today is a beautiful day. And yet, at the same time, the brokenness and corruption that we see there in the garden, or see there when Adam and Eve turn away from God and break the partnership, we see that that endures in our world. And while there's beautiful things, because this is a world created by God, there's, there's so much pain and hurt and suffering and sadness that happens all over the place. And people have tried for a long, long time to figure out how to remedy it. And what we've come to find is that we can't. It would look like we, when you just look at it at face value, it looks like we're just, just stuck in a broken world. But there was that little glimmer of hope that was given to Adam and Eve that there'd be someone who would come, a descendant of Eve, who would, would conquer the one who made this world broken. We don't get a lot of details, actually hardly any, but then there comes that point in time where God chose a man who's named Abraham and said, I'm going to turn you into this great nation. 
Your descendants are going to be this great nation, and all the people of the world are going to be blessed through you. So here's this little insight. Okay, God's going to, to undo what happened there with Adam and Eve. He's going to, to heal things, and it's going to come through this, this man's family. And he does. His family grows into this, this big group of people. Unfortunately, however, after a while, they are a big group of people who are slaves in Egypt. But God has such a plan for them that he goes to extraordinary lengths to rescue them. He sends this man named Moses, his brother Aaron, also with him to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, and there are these plagues that happen. Finally, they leave Egypt. God parts waters in this amazing way, and they pass through on their way towards a land that God had for them set apart to be this promised land where they could serve him and be his people. Now, I know you've been around church for a while, like, okay, a lot of this is review, but it's important for us to remember why God brought them out. When you look at the temple that was to be at the center of God's people, and there's that holy place where God's presence would dwell among his people. Do you know what they decorated the holy place to look like? The Garden of Eden. There's fruit trees and things all over the place. The menorahs look like the tree of life. It's all imagery of the garden. The garden was where humanity lived together. The center of the tabernacle, the center of the temple was where humanity and God could dwell together again. The job description given to the priests who worked in the temple, when you look at the wording, it matches almost exactly the job description given to Adam to, to, to work and keep the garden. Right here we see, okay, here's a little, this is God's direction. This is God's plan. This is how God is going to, to, to bring, this is the light of hope. Through these people, he's going to, to heal it. He's going to bring the, the hope that we, that we need going to fix this broken world through these people. And so when you think about the law that God gave to his people, the covenant law, in the Old Testament, that was specifically how they were to live as the people set apart to be his instruments to bring blessing to the world. It's not just, okay, this is how I created you to live, yes, but now in the Old Testament, this is how I want you to live set apart to be my people through whom I will restore the world. And so to be anti-law is not just to be anti-living how we were created to live. It also means to go against how God wants us to live as people through whom he will bring restoration to the world. Anti-law is to go against plans, God's plan of restoration and really to, to, to push these things aside and stay here. To stay in a broken world in a broken situation. And our lesson says that he who sins, he who sins breaks the law and is full of anti-law. Which then, when you look at that, okay, now that's us, right? Because we sin. And while we might not think of ourselves as being anti-law or lawless, when you think about the law being a way that God wants his people to live set apart to bring blessing to the world, we can see how often we've been anti-law. Because when we reflect on our lives, do we always live in a way that helps the world be better? Or how often do we live in a way that makes the world worse? I wish everywhere I went, I just made every situation better, but I can tell you, I certainly don't. 
because I'm a selfish, self-righteous, sinful person. And we all are in various, we have our different sins with different things that we do that contribute to what makes this world broken. And we can try and try, and believe me, I have tried and tried to get better in so many ways, and yet I look in the mirror and I still see, but look how you messed up here and how you messed up, and you made it worse that way. And I'm sure you, when you look in the mirror, see the same. And so it feels like, okay, we are stuck here. But our lesson tonight is about how God loves us so much that he didn't want us to stay stuck here. And love means, his love means freedom. See, our lesson, it goes on to say, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Now that phrase may seem pretty straightforward. He may take away our sins. And you can look at it and, and kind of get the idea just by looking at it there. But there's so much in scripture and in the Old Testament that can really flesh out and deepen our understanding of what it means that he came to take away sins, our sins. And so to help us see that, we're just going to watch a little snippet of part of the Bible Project's video about the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And it's here, it's here that we find a really important ritual called the Day of Atonement. Yeah, so Israel's a big tribe now, and odds are there's a lot of sin happening that goes unnoticed, that people are not dealing with. And so one time a year, the priests would take two goats, and one of those goats is killed, and its blood is carried right into God's presence where it symbolically covers or atones for Israel's sin. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Well, the meaning of the sacrifice, it's explained in the next chapter, where God says that the blood of a creature is its life. And so this goat's life is offered as a substitute. It's receiving God's punishment for Israel's sin so that the people don't have to. That leaves the second goat. Yeah, the priest puts his hands on it, and then he confesses all the sins of Israel. It's like he's placing the sins on the goat. And then that goat gets cast out forever into the wilderness. It's called the scapegoat. Yeah, I've heard that word before. Yeah, it's this very powerful image of how God is graciously removing Israel's sin. In the Old Testament, they all ultimately point together, point ahead to Jesus. And Jesus, with his sacrifice, he fulfills and completes <clears throat> all these other sacrifices. So you have these, these various ones in the Old Testament, and Jesus, in various ways, he fulfills these different sacrifices. So we think of all how we have these two, go these two goats, and you have the one goat that was killed, and then its blood was brought in. And in many ways, that might be the way that we think more about Jesus' sacrifice. We've talked about this some during this series about Jesus' blood being a sacrifice of atonement. Right? So when you think about that way, we think about how Jesus, when he was hung on the cross, how he died there like that one goat would die. And when you think about that death, it's the justice for your sins. When we do wrong things, we know that there needs to be justice for that wrong. There needs to be consequence. And so, in the Old Testament, you had the goat. In Jesus, we see that Jesus took the full justice that everything our sins deserve. And he took it, he paid for it there on the cross. His blood was shed. 
We even had in our gospel lesson today, when his side was pierced and what flowed out? Blood and water. So Jesus' blood was shed, payment for our sins, and also atonement covers over our debt in order to buy us back so we could be redeemed, washed clean in God's sight, and right with him. So that's the one way that we see this practice in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. The other one, I don't know if we talk about as much, I think the term scapegoat is pretty familiar, but do we think about Good Friday in scapegoat terms? I know I typically don't as much. But there is that application as well. All of our sins, when you think about in the Old Testament, when they had the, the, the goat who would be the scapegoat, they would take and the priest would take and confess all the sins of the people over the head of the goat and then send the goat out of the city. Do you know where the cross was? Where Jesus would be, was it in the city or outside of the city, right? And he would take the sins of the people outside there of the city and away from them. He removed the sins of the people. And actually, you could take it beyond the cross because, yes, he takes them out to the cross, but then after he dies, where does he go? Into a tomb. And there in that tomb course the stone is rolled in front and our sins are gone they're removed they're done away with because Jesus went outside the city to the cross died for them there then went and was placed in the tomb and our sins you can't you don't see them anymore they're not in front of you anymore. They have been removed. Because God loves you so much that he doesn't want them to be a barrier between you and him anymore. He doesn't want them to hold you back. He wants you to have freedom. Love means freedom. And that's why Jesus died for you and for me. Now our lesson, it goes on to say, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And when you see that word lives, and we've had this a couple times again in this series, that that word lives it literally means to remain or abide. So if you remain in Jesus, you don't keep on sinning. This is one of those statements of John that are, that are pretty strong to really hit home a point. John is not saying that we are never going to sin again. What he is pointing out to us, though, is that when you think about Jesus and what he came to do, he came He came to remove our sin. The whole point of Jesus being here was to take our sin on himself and put it in there. So if you go and you roll the stone back and you get it out, and you play with what he put in the tomb, you're kind of missing the point. You're missing the point of what he came to do. Or even when you think about, when you think about staying in Jesus, Jesus is the one who heals us and, and, and brings, brings life again, the life we were created to live. If you think, okay, Jesus died for me so now I can go to heaven, great, now I can just go live how I want, you're completely missing the point. The point is 
living life the way we want to is what messes everything up. It's what broke the world. It's what makes it so that we can't partner with God the way we were meant to be. It's the problem. And so if you're just like, all right, you know, good, I can go to heaven someday, so now I'm just going to party all I want, you, you don't get it. That's part of why it's so good to go back and talk about why the law is what it is. John's letting us know that, okay, so if you get, if you really get Jesus, then, then you want to leave these right here, and you want them to be covered up. Now, if you're thinking, but wait a minute, pastors, I look at it, it does say no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Are you sure it doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore? Well, remember, this is why we review these things so much. There's something here that is, that is the strong statements that John is making to really hit home a point that you, you got to recognize why Jesus came. And if you don't see why he came, then you, you don't really get it. That's part of what he's doing. There's that strong emphasis he's making there. But also remember that there's this cycle that we go through. And remember where this cycle started. John has already said that the way you live in the light is not by never sinning, but when you do sin, you don't hide it. You bring it out into the light, you confess it, and know that he is faithful and just to forgive you for all your sins and cleanse you. He really has come, and even though you struggle with your sin, even though you may trip up again, he has set you free. And you can receive this freedom. But now, I know I can say that to you, but something that I know I feel sometimes, I don't feel all that free when I think about my sin, when I think about how I struggle against things. And sometimes I don't, I don't feel that free. Sometimes I can really wonder, like, really? Like, am I really... Am I really set apart by God? Do I really have this life I can be living for? Sometimes even I will, I got to share, I, as a pastor, I will sometimes have this feeling like, can I really stand up and preach this message when I know how much I struggle with my own sin? You know, because I have my own things, and I, again, I try to improve, and yet run into these issues. We may not feel free, but that's part of why there, there, there's, something, there's something I want you to do. Uh, underneath your seats, my fantastic prop helper, Ruthie, has tucked some sheets. There's a sheet underneath every one of your other chairs in here. Even if you're in a rocker, it's under the cushion, although that might be more of a challenge to get out. Um, there's some empty chairs in front of you, Holly. You can always snag one from there. And I'm not going to require you to do any writing. Well, I never require you to take notes. You're always invited to. Um, but even here, I don't have any notes for you really to take. But on that sheet, on that sheet, what, what, what does it have on there? It says, my sin. Right? It says, what's the next thing it says? My guilt. How about the next one? My shame. The next one. My secret. How about the next one? 
my just sentence, and you're like, a sentence? I'm thinking penalty, punishment, justice, the things I deserve for what I've done wrong. How about the next one? Okay, now the next sentence or phrase, what kept me from him and others. And then the bottom is my, and then there's a blank, because I don't know, maybe there's something else that pops into your mind. Something else that, is, that has felt like a barrier between you and God. Something else that is on your mind and on your heart. We all have these things. We have our sin. We have the things we feel guilty about. We have the shame that's there that plagues us. We have how we know, like, oh, we did that wrong thing, so there should be punishment for it. We, we know that death is real in this world. We have things that hold us back from embracing life with God or feeling like we can really be the people God has created us to be. And we have those things that make it hard for us to really be open and with each other. What I want you to do now is to look at this sheet and to have them in your mind and remember, well, one, they were taken up here, nailed to a cross and paid for. But also... Remember in the Old Testament, they would confess those sins over that goat's head, right? I want you to ball up this piece of paper, and, and I want you to pass the paper towards the center. Because for the people of God, you can pass them down. You want to put it in there, buddy? Thank you. All right. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> now, no one's still hanging on to their sin, are they? Dave, did you get yours handed over? No, you're back. Like I told you, you've got to be part of the experience. All right. You're not hanging on to that sin, are you? No, that's not how the scapegoat works. All of your sin has been placed on him. It's all there. It's not in. Open your hands. Anybody, anybody got, there, what, what's in them? Nothing. You might not feel free. But your hands are free. You don't have anything in them anymore. They've been placed on the scapegoat who went to the cross, took the justice, and paid for them. He took them outside the city into a tomb. And that stone was rolled. And you can't see them anymore. And neither can God. When God looks at you, that sin's been removed. It's been taken away, right? God doesn't see a speck of guilt or shame or sin or punishment that needs to be there or anything that would keep you from him. doesn't see it. You can live in full confidence that you have 
all that goodness of God's presence with the people at Eden, that that's what you're looking forward. You're looking forward to seeing God in paradise. The word paradise, by the way, when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, you know what that word means? Garden. It literally describes a garden. A garden paradise. You have the full confidence of joining him in that garden. And you have the full confidence that he is with you and for you now. Because there is not a speck that he sees. And when you see it and you look in the mirror and you see it, here's what we do as Christians. This is why we have a confession of sins at the beginning of worship service most of the time. This is why we do things like go through Good Friday so we can again put them on the head of the goat, on the head of the offering, and remember that they have been taken away. To remember that this day is about God loving you so much that Jesus laid down his life for you. So you can be set right. So you can be free. Free to live in confidence. Free to live knowing you are loved. Free now. Even though you've, it doesn't matter how many times you tripped up, he doesn't see him. Doesn't see him. Step forward and live again. Because your sin has been taken away, it's been removed. God loves you and wants you to not be held back from him or the life he has in front of you. He wants you to live, to really live, to live free. Lent means love. Today is about love. And love means freedom.